all things, Jason. All things are your fault. I thought everyone was clear on that by now. <laughs> but yeah, did I say whole person was unfair? I don't remember saying that. That might have been that other fake Joe from the Biggest Geekest podcast that's been calling around lately. Because um, yeah, hold person, whatevs, man. I'll use that shit all day. Peace out. What pops up a beer or a cold libation? Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start with some talking and some movie clips of popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations, and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I let the box come on, contest, and of course you know it's all about games. That's the slowdown. Let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG. With the other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. There at the top of the show, you heard Joe from Hindsightless or Wheeler Woe. And Joe, you know, I'd have to go back and listen to see what you actually said, but do your actual words and what you really meant, does that matter? Or does what we think you said and think you meant, is that what will go down in history, my friend? I, I think that's it. So my impression is that you said hold person is perfectly acceptable, and it's totally different than if I, as a player, say, hey, GM, I know you want us to go do this and all the other players can go do this, but I'm selfish and to build my character's personal development and story as a, as a solo lone wolf, I'm going to go off and do something else and then I have to sit out, that's not okay. That's kind of what I got out of what you said. So according to Joe, if we do hold person and somebody has to sit out for two whole sessions, like has recently happened to Pete Jones when he got, well, when Pete Jones's PC got tossed in jail, then that's okay. I'm kidding, Joe. I, 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 I'm, I'm willing to say Joe is not mean that. But yeah, the impression I got, though, Joe, was that you were saying that hold person is a totally different situation than the player saying, I'm going to go do my lone wolf thing. And I do agree with you with that. Um, so I'm just kind of pulling your leg. But, man, you kind of went after Joe from Biggest Geekus there. We, we, we have a Joe fight here. I don't need to defend Biggest Geekus Joe. He can defend himself. So I'm not going to get in the middle of that. But... I, I do recommend you go check out both Hindsightless and Biggest Geekus. I will say the latest episode of Biggest Geekus has some interesting topics on there. They talk about player um, player knowledge, character knowledge in a bunch of different ways, which is really interesting. And I will also say that at, they do their they do a like a the positive plane where they do pl- positive things at the beginning of their show. They do the body of their show. They do their end music, and then they do the negative plane. Some of my listeners will be very offended if they listen to their negative plane part because their political views may not line up with yours and whatever. So if you just want to hear gaming content, go listen to Biggest Kikas and skip. don't listen to their negative plane part because that's where they feel free to talk about their real opinions about politics and gaming. So if you're not interested in politics and gaming, stop at their end music. So it's not a big deal. But I, I do think there's valuable content in the body of their show, without a doubt. And I think that 
if you're going to do crazy political stuff. Well, like Joe talks about politics, right? And Joe and I are at loggerheads a little bit in some things. I'm talking about hindsightless Joe. But to his credit, when Joe talks politics on a show, he'll sit there and give a caveat and say, hey, folks, the first part of the show where I'm about to go on a political rant, if you want to hear gaming, skip ahead. So, And I think either way, either just giving that warning up front or putting it after your end credit music is cool. That way, if somebody wants to skip that part of it, they can. And it's cool. I got friends on both sides of the political spectrum, so I'm not going to judge you regardless. Um, unless you're one of those red commies, then I might judge you. Okay, anyway, the other thing I want to say here before we launch into the calls, because it's mostly a listener feedback episode, is recently I listened to the fourth episode of Frankenstein's RPG. And I've talked about Frankenstein's RPG before, back when it first came on the scene. And there are only four episodes. It's pretty quick to catch up on. And Franken... Oops, I need to pause the recording while I sneeze. Since I have to pause the recording anyway, I should say, if if you do happen to be a, a red communist, uh, thank you for listening to my show. And you're definitely welcome at my gaming table. As long as somebody's not mean to other players at my table, then you're welcome at my table. So, you, you know, I, I, I say that mainly as a somebody that was in the military during the Cold War and grew up during the Cold War and that feels that, you know, communism as it's implemented in the real world is not a good system. But I don't want to get into politics. So I'm going to leave this little sneeze break and we're going to go back to talking about Frankenstein's RPG. Okay, I don't mind letting Maddie squeak his ball in your ear, but I don't want to sneeze in your ear. So Frankenstein's RPG, and there'll be a link in the show notes, like links, I'll links to everything, is a great podcast. What they do is it's a group of Twitter friends that get guests on the show each episode, and they're what they're doing is they're picking their favorite parts of different RPGs, and they're going to put them together into one system. So they've already covered things like character creation and initiative and skills and in ep- like, and they get different guests on the show. So like Dirk the Dice from the Gar- Grognard Files was on episode two. So in this latest episode, episode four, they talked about combat and the failing forward mechanism. And it's really interesting to get the perspectives. And it's not, it's not all a quote-unquote sausage fest. They've had a female guest on the past two episodes. Um, but it, it's funny because, you know, obviously they're they're... They're very smart people because the combat system that was voted to be used was MURP, Rollmaster. And as, you know, all real gamers know, Rollmaster is the, the best RPG. Um, I, I even have a, an episode about it. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I've, in fact, my most listened to episode is my Rollmaster retrospective, where I, where I got six other podcasters to get together with me. And we all reminisce on, you know, how much we enjoyed Rollmaster or still enjoy it, you know, um, I want to say Minion and, um, eh, Brain Fart, and Shadow of the GM, Barry, Minion and Barry, and I played a high-level Merp game at the end of last year, I had a lot of fun with it, anyhow, so, but they picked Merp as the ideal combat system, and interestingly enough, all five of them agreed that failing forward, that idea was not a perfect idea. It was kind of a, a fad, and they voted not to include it in their game. 
which I know there are a lot of people that like the failing forward idea. I think failing forward's okay sometimes. I think if you do it every time, it gets old. And that is, the I think, where they're coming from. But I do recommend you go listen to episode four of Frankenstein's RPG. So with that said, let's get on with the calls. And the first caller is going to be, I don't know, because I'm recording and I can't look at the list. So mystery caller, you're up. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason, it's Arlen calling in about 192, the Barbarians of Lemuria session recap and all of that sort of stuff. A couple things I wanted to say. First off, um, I agree that those uh, DC Universe animation animated shows are just awesome. The The Batman animated show is great. Batman Beyond is, is one of my favorites. Um, and the Return of the Joker movie in particular is just wild. And there's some, some great sequences in that um, that movie. Um, and, and really, I so I watched them as a kid originally. And then as an adult, have gone back to them. And I'm realizing that they're a whole lot better than I ever kind of realized as a kid. Like, I enjoyed them as a kid. But as an adult, I'm like, these are, like, really well-crafted superhero stories for the most part. Obviously they're dud episodes and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, the other thing I was going to say is that with regard to Barbarians of Lemuria, I think that whiffiness that we noticed um, in some ways was kind of by design, um, by which I mean, I know the different characters are all kind of specialized differently and um, Carl's character, Harn should have been hitting a little more, but um I think it is it is intentional the idea that mooks are not or or non-player characters attacking player characters are not going to hit very often because you know they um, player characters don't have a whole lot of hit points um, they're not going to be able to take that I many even d6 low hits um, so I think it is by design that there's going to be a lot of whiffs and and whiffs even from player characters that aren't really specialized in what they're trying to do in a number of ways that, um, you know, that target number nine means that to succeed more often than you fail, you need at least a plus two uh, total bonus and that you have a fairly steep drop off as you move away from that plus two, right? Cause your average on two, your most common result on two D six, your average result is a seven. So, you know, when you look at my character, so Advith has plus one in melee and plus two from agility, meaning that he's got a total plus three minus one for their defense gets him down to a plus two. And he was hitting like it. he was hitting most of the time versus like Harn in melee um, only had, I think, uh, had a, a, a lesser bonus. I don't think he had any points in melee and maybe two, one or two agility. Um, and then, uh Eric's character, Zamorn, was it? The Zamorn, I think, is the name. And, uh, you know, he barely could hit it all in melee. And I think that's actually, in some ways, by design, because he didn't have as good a bonus. By comparison, Eric's character, you know, with doing magic or stuff like that is going to be 
what I was saying, I got cut off. But what I was saying is basically, I think Barbarians of Lemuria intentionally um, is actually designed so that you you want that like plus two or higher bonus to try to do the things that you're supposed to be good at to succeed most of the time. And that that is in a lot of ways by design because it preserves that feeling of character competence and that heroes get hero points to mitigate that, but that mooks or, or general kind of NPCs who don't have hero points, the idea is they're really only going to regularly succeed at the stuff that they're supposed to be good at. And I, anyway, I think that's really um, by design in a lot of ways, rather than that the whiffiness that we saw in the fight was not um, not too surprising, especially considering that I think all of our PCs had like two points in defense or more, which is a, a, a good way to spend your points, but it makes the fights whiffy. So anyway, that's just me. Of course, that was Arlen Walker, the Live from Helm's Wasteland podcast and YouTube channel. And yeah, those are good points, Arlen. I, I do think we were rolling a little bit unusually low um, across the board that day. Lots of ones and twos and threes. Well, I guess three is average on D6, isn't it? But yeah, no, you're right. It, and like I say, the fact I didn't include Rabble in there, which didn't give you a chance to clear, you, you know, three, four or five of the opponents at once, that definitely contributed to that a little bit. But I'm definitely looking forward to our next session. And I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your days to play. So, as far as the DC animated universe goes, the, the cartoons, yep, the, I, I really enjoy those. I didn't see, I, I remember when they were on, but I was in the Army and, and doing other things around the time they were on TV. So, I've only really seen them in reruns and then haven't purchased them i got them on dvd and i'm thinking about upgrading to to blu-ray replacing everything with blu-ray that i can static shock's not out on blu-ray from what i can tell and zeta project is not out on blu-ray as far as i can tell but batman the animated series superman the animated series justice league justice league unlimited which are definitely the, the main parts of that universe i believe are all are available on blu-ray and and well worth picking up. So, anyhow, I and, and you mentioned the adult themes. I mean, you go back and or, or viewable by adults. You go back and actually, you you know, the the one thing we should say about these cartoons is they they do kind of sexualize women to some degree. So we we do have to throw that out there. You, you know, the Flash is kind of a dog, and, and there's definitely. You know, rewatching them, you know, it's kind of surprising because there's definitely implications that, um, well, there's definitely implications of characters sleeping together and things like that um, in in their verbal, you know, what they say to each other. So it's, yeah, it's interesting when you think kids cartoon, but, you know, you have actual death, you have effect pretty much on screen death of some characters you know, from violence, you have where the heroes are, are going to kill people at times. You have, like I say, the sexual stuff. Um, the only thing that's a little cringy these days probably would be some of the the stuff with the women, I, I think, is pushed a little far. But some of it's in good fun and some of it's obviously um, just the, the creators kind of sexualizing those characters a little bit. But I, I think that's, you can overlook that. And, you know, you're, you're aware of it, so it's not that it's okay. But I think you can look past that 
to enjoy them. And like you say, there's some great stories. And I think they're some of the best realizations of these characters in any kind of media outside maybe comic books, right? It, they're better than any of the action, any of the, the real life movies or other cartoons. I think Batman, you know, that John Stewart is my Green Lantern, not Hal Jordan. Wally West is the Flash there, is what I think of as the Flash, you know, not the Barry Allen version. Um, the like, like I mentioned in my show, Hawkgirl, that's the version of Hawk. I, I got to tell you, if <laughs> Hawkgirl in the comics, the continuity is so screwed up and they, they, they had the same thing in the CW show where you got, no, oh, you're reincarnated this and that. And, and, and they, they rebooted and redid Hawkgirl and Hawkman's origins so many times in the comics where in the animated, these animated shows, they're they're so well done, uh, um, Hawk Girl, and what they do with Hawkman when he's introduced in Justice League United is great, um, or Justice League Unlimited is great. Like I say, this is by far my favorite portrayals of them in these shows. Um, this is probably the Lex Luthor. If I was going to pick Lex Luthor, th- this is probably my Lex Luthor. Um, and I like where they scale the powers. So like Superman in this is a slightly weaker character. You know, he I don't think he. You know, he doesn't fly at the speed of light. He doesn't, he can't breathe in space, for example. He has to have oxygen when he's in space. You, you know, so he's scaled back a little bit, and which makes him more, you know, you can make adventures around him a lot easier if he's not the movie for, or the comic version that can lift a planet and throw planets around and do all this crazy stuff. So, yeah, I, I really like the DC Animated Universe. It's by far my favorite version of DC and I could I I was thinking about this the other day cuz we're looking to do some home remodeling or or sell this house and buy a different one and just going through my stuff and thinking about it you know if I scaled back I could re- really scale back a lot and if I had those DC you know I did the Blu-ray sets for the DC animated universe I could probably be happy with that as my superhero content you you know I would. I, I think it's better than the Marvel movies. I think it's better than whatever else. And if I just had that, and that was all the superhero, you know, say you weren't going to have streaming and you weren't going to have new TVs, but you were just going to rewatch, kind of cycle through the same things. You know, you go down to you're going to have a, a set of twenty books, that, all the books you have, and then cut back to, you know, a one shelf of movies, and that's it or whatever. If I scaled back, they would fit and fill. My, my comic book desire, my superhero desire, I, I get all I need out of superheroes from that DC animated universe. And you could just cycle that through in your, in your viewing, and I think I'd be really happy with that. But, uh, might have to expand on that topic at some point, the scaling back um, dovetail kind into Ivy's um, podcast over the Happy Whisk where she's talking about doing that decluttering. But anyhow, that's enough of me blathering, so let's go on to the next topic. Hey Jason, Daniel from Bates keep calling in for about uh, 192. I don't, I don't know what it is, and I'm, I'm clearly not the only one because you continue to do it, so clearly people like it. But the unboxings are very satisfying to me. I, I don't really watch unboxings on YouTube, which is where you see them a lot. But listening to you do it, it's like theater of the mind for unboxing. So I just, I just really like it. I, I thought I would call in and let you know. Um, also, that Conan board game sounds super interesting, and I'm going to have to look that up. But uh, every time we talk about Barbarians of Lemuria, it really gets me more and more uh, excited to, to try it myself. I, I, I do have the, 
the Mythic Edition book somewhere. So I guess I got to pull that out because that, that sounded like you had guys had a great game. And that Rabble idea seems really cool. So I'd love to hear how that works, uh, like in an actual game. Hey, Daniel, thank you so much for those kind words. So I'm going to give you a little bit more here on the Conan the Sumerian Tower of the Elephant game. And this is like a secondary unboxing. A lot of my unboxings, if you'll notice, I take the thing out of the box, like I take it out of the postal packaging box, but I never take it out of the cellophane because, you know, I've got, I probably have more games still in cellophane than I have ones that I've played, sad as that is. So I'm going to actually take Conan the Sumerian Tower of the Elephant out of the cellophane for you. So the company this comes from, well, there's two stamps on here. Um, it looks like it's Room 17 Games. So Room 17 Games, but Google Conan the Sumerian Tower of the Elephant. will probably take you to the Kickstarter page, but I don't know if this is going to go out to other companies. Like, I, I buy a lot of board games from Cool Stuff, Inc. They're out of Florida. Um, but, you know, if you, like, order more than $100, it's free delivery, and is the more stuff you buy from, the more board games, whatever you buy from them, you get a, a discount. But, obviously, stuff at Kickstarter, I don't get from them. But... Anyhow, I'm going to open this box up and tell you what's in here. So maybe I'll take some pictures and put on the blog. The cover, you know, the, the, the top of the box, the front of the box, has Conan the Sumerian Tower of the Elephant in the center. And then you have the, the tower going up, and it's kind of like an angle, an angled shot, you know, like a, um, I don't know the right term. Somebody will call in and correct me here. But you know how it's a Dutch angle. So the, the cover's at a Dutch angle. That's the right term where it's kind of cattywampus. And so the tower's there, and Conan's in the center, and it's you're, you're standing at Conan's back. He's drawn his sword, you know, and he's got a little bit of dirt, maybe blood on his arm. You, you can see this big hoop earring in his ear, and his black hair, long black hair is fluttering in the breeze. And between him and the tower is kind of a, a shadow, and there are face, evil faces in the shadow, like this evil fog between him and the tower. So let's open this up and look at the game components, and then maybe next time I'll play the game, probably not because of my work schedule, but maybe I'll play the game and I'll give you an actual play report on it. It's for one or two players, 14 or older it recommends. It says it can be played in 60 to 90 minutes. It says there's two modes of play, solo mode, single player becomes Conan battling the game itself. In battle mode, one player becomes Conan fighting to steal the elephant's heart. The other player becomes the Twisted Wizard Yara, casting spells and soldiers, things to punish Conan for his temerity. Temerity. There we go. Temerity. Sorry about that. Um, one cool thing I didn't mention. Well, let me unbox this thing. And and there was there's one cool aspect of this game, Daniel. I think you'll like if you and I bet you if you go to YouTube, you can find plenty of reviews on this and unboxings like with pictures. So. The components of this game, you actually build the tower, and it's got separate sections you can take off, so you can put the minis inside. So the, the top of the box, when you flip it over, is, a, I think it's the first layer of the tower. So on the outside, on the sides, there, you know, two sides of the walls, and one side is the door, the front door, which has two lines on either side of this big, these big metal doors, this arch door, their little teeth up top, pretty cool. And the back is, again, metal or it might be wood doors with a big bar across them and they're bears inlaid in these doors. Very, very cool. 
And then inside the box, inside the top cover of the box, the box top, we had yeah the other side of the doors on the you know the insides and then the the bottom of the t that is the grounds it's the gardens that Conan had snuck through and it's a grid so you can use miniatures and there's some in the grid there's some marks in there and I think that's the block line of sight I haven't read the rules and there's some bushes and stuff looks pretty cool we have a rule book the rule book is 20 pages or I'm sorry, 22 pages, and I know we don't, the amount of pages don't mean complexity, but in a board game, they, they kind of sort of do, right? So there's only 22 pages in the rule book, and there's a lot of pictures, so it looks like it'll be a pretty quick rule book read. Okay, so the, the box top goes in front of the tower when you build it. There's, there's good pictures in here. I, I'll put pictures up on the blog, so you guys can go to the blog and see that. And like I say, somebody's probably done a great unboxing on YouTube. I just don't do YouTube. Um... But yeah, it's a tenfold dungeon, and the t we have nine tenfold dungeon locations. We have the Mall Tavern, the Tower Garden, which is the box top, the Guard Chamber, the Treasure Chamber, Yaga Koshis Chamber, Yara's Chamber, the Treasure Chamber, and three sets of silver stairs. Comes with twenty-five standees, the bases, four miniatures, a bunch of cards. Looks like it might be a pretty fun game. The bottom of the box is the tavern, is that mall tavern. Um, so there's, so we have the rule book, and then we also have a scenario book, which is 15 pages long. I'm not going to really look through that at the moment because I haven't read the rules, and I don't know if I'm going to spoil anything for me in solo play. The monster cards are, are good size. They're like one, two, three, four. They're five by seven, I think. Monster cards, they have a picture of the monster on one side. And then there's stats in the game. On the other side, you have a, a monster card for Yara. We have a combat round tracker. We have a monster card for what was once Taurus. Oh, that's pretty awesome. And a spider card. And then we have a, a big Conan tracker. And Conan has some neat options in, in this game. You have, you have his level. You have fatigue, wounds, leap, block, riposte, slash, big swing. So it looks like you do more than just attack in this game, which is really cool. You have more options. We've got a bunch of different counters. Um, yep, there's definitely lions. Because if you remember in the story, you know, there were lions in the in the garden, right? It's been a while since I've read that. I need to reread that story. We've got all the pieces for these towers you can build. And they, they fit inside each other like a Russian, um, you know, Russian nesting doll which is really cool that you can actually build the tower and have a tower in front of you during the game. I really like props like that. There's another game like that. Well, there's so two games. If you've ever played um, Castle Panic, Castle Panic, it, it's a fun game, but you actually you know, have the tower in front of you. And then they did a version called Star Trek Panic, and I don't know if that's still out there anymore. But Star Trek Panic, you put together this cardboard version of the Enterprise in the center of the board, and it's really cool. Um so we've got cards, we've got a bunch of dice in here, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, this box, the minis are in a separate little box, which is cool. So the minis are, eh, they're okay. They're fine for board game minis. They're not near the quality of the minis in the um, Conan, you know, the Monolith Conan game. But they are, um, they're cool. That's fine. Um, yeah, so th actually there's a lot of neat stuff in here. So I think that's all I'm going to do for this part of this. I'm, 
this, the actual unboxing of this game, because I'm going to want to read through this and play it. So the next time I talk about Tony and the Sumerian Tower of the Elephant will be a play report. So Daniel, I hope that gave you a little more interesting food for thought here. Maybe I prompted you to track copy this game down and buy it. Um, I Yeah, I don't know why you enjoy my unboxings. Um, I can't help you with that, but I will try to keep doing them if people still want to hear them. So, with that said, let's change subjects. Oh, really quickly, before we switch topics, Daniel mentioned the rabble in Barbarians Lemoria. So, Carl, Arlen, Joe, plug your ears for, for a minute. You, you don't really have to. There's a slight, we have another game of Barbarians Lemoria coming up this week. And there's a small chance Rabble may show up in the game. You know, my players don't, you know, don't listen to what I'm saying. And if Rabble do happen to show up, Daniel, then when I do the after-session report, I'll detail not only how they work in the game, I'll detail the mechanics and, you know, how the players did with them. So look forward to that in a future podcast. Now, on to the next set of calls. Well, dear listeners, Andy Goodman of Expedition of Grizzly Peaks has stepped in at this time. Last episode, he called in and talked about the possibility of a Quantum Leap role-playing game, which is really is a great idea. And I've got and that beckoned to a number of callers, so I've got a number of calls regarding this. But unfortunately, the first one is possible legal trouble for Andy. So let's go to Barney of the Local Ludus podcast. Sometimes on a Friday when the day is nearly done, you got pancake mix to make, but you just want to get drunk. Hi, Jason. Um, I thought I should probably call in based on the um, uh, bit of the discussion in the latest episode. I think there are clearly more questions than answers. I mean, I'm really confused. Did... Andy just steal my game or did he make a new game or is my game actually just recapitulating other things and is Andy seeing things in my game that I didn't see or things that I already put in there that he doesn't hadn't really noticed uh but that he now feels he would approach differently even if they're already in there so i'm i don't really know where i stand on all of that frankly um i think it all depends on what dice you're going to use i mean aren't we all a little bit like scott what's his name who was in quantum leap and ended up in star trek um when we play role play games where we're a player taking on a character and so on and so on and of course I mean I don't really want to bring up Hammer Horror um, because there's nothing much to bring up not even a dog's dinner or a cat bowl hair bowl um Maddie um so yeah that's that's really all there is. Roleplay games are great. 
and I really enjoy League of Eternal Guardians. Barney, I think you have a strong case, and I want to help you out here. So I'm going to point you towards a lawyer that I know. Now, we both know that Andy has a lawyer on retainer, and Ms. Ida Nyatt is a great lawyer. But that said, I, I'm good friends with Susan Urazoff. And I've got to tell you, Sue Urazoff, Esquire, is a great lawyer. She spent years with Dewey Cheetleman Howe, and she'll do you right, Barney. So get with me. I'll give you her number, and you can go after Andy for stealing that game right out for under you. As far as Hammer Horror goes, there's really no reason once your schedule slows down, we can't pick that back up. Next up, we have calls from John Allen Large, Darren Green, who has a generous offer, and we're going to close out this, as I fall into the washing machine in the dark room I'm recording in, and we're going to close this section out with a call from Carl Rodriguez, Game Master Extraordinaire. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to John. Hey there, Jason. It's John here from the Red Dice Stories, just listening to your episode 192, and Andy's calling about whether it'd be possible to do a Quantum Leap episode. And uh, just looking at this, Gushy's telling me that there's a 95% chance that definitely you could do a Quantum Leap RPG, and it'd probably be amazing. Oh boy. On a slightly more serious note, um, you're asking what sort of whether he possessed his own physical abilities um, in quantum leap or whether he possessed abilities of the body that he jumped into now i seem to remember they sort of played pretty fast and loose with that in the series i mean i've not seen it for a while but i, I remember there was an episode with like um there's some sort of primate in it and because of its fur it couldn't swim and he sort of jumped into the body of this primate but at the end of the episode he like swam across some water to like save someone which suggests that he had his own abilities because the actual body he was in shouldn't have been able to swim. But there were other episodes where he seemed to be restricted by the body that he was in. So I think they generally went with whatever sort of suited the plot for that particular episode. Anyway, dude, great episode. I'm going to get back to listening to the rest of it. Take care. Alfred here, just uh, calling in after Andy's message on your recent episode. I've actually started and probably three quarters of the way through designing a quantum leap style game um, i was doing it more from a sort of time cop where there was a bad organization altering time and the good guys were going back and trying to alter it in a short window of opportunity um, you'd basically take your knowledge and your experience of your agent and jump into a body of uh, someone had been picked out of a selection of suitable candidates so you'd have your knowledge um, in your skills and then you'd have their body and their sort of physical attributes and you combine the two so yeah that's something I've been working on but um, I'm actually working on decks at the moment so put that to one side so the time cop RPG I did play it with family group um, for a couple of sessions it went down well enjoyed it um, still need to do a bit of work on it and iron out some of the time travel sort of things but I glossed over that to a certain extent um, the character sheet I designed had two parts so one part went over the top of the second part to represent your character and the character you're jumping in and you, you combine the stats basically um, it was a d6 basic system um, 
I think it's got some scope. I think it's uh, I think it's got some legs. So I mean, if anyone's interested, by all means, contact me on uh, the audio Discord, Arfed, um, whether it be for the Time Cop game or or decks. If anyone's interested, cheers. Thanks, bye. Someone should tell Andy Goodman that there is a role-playing game where you do play some sort of time patrol, time travel thing. Um, it's called Time Watch by Pelgrane Press. Yeah, I've, I've actually been thinking about a time travel thing. Um, my wife has been binge-watching Outlander, which is more romance than time travel. But uh, there is that odd sci-fi fantasy element involved. And of course, the author really doesn't explain how it works. Um, but I guess one would do that in a situation like that in a game. Um, there's also a book I'm reading called Domus Day Book, um, where the protagonist goes back in time to observe um, Middle Age, the Middle Ages, but gets caught in the plague. Actually, it's pronounced. Doomsday book, not Domesday, but it is Doomsday. <clears throat> I looked up the proper pronunciation. It is a novel, well, it was the early Middle Ages survey that the English monarchy, kings, government did, but it is also a novel about time travel by Connie Willis. So, Darren, thank you for that offer. Anybody interested? Hit him up on the Audio Dungeon Discord, or if you're not on there, reach out to me and I'll put you together with him. Dex, of course, is his game that uses cards instead of dice. And then his t Time Cop game sounds interesting as well. I am I want to try that myself. As far as Carl's Call, yeah, I haven't played Time Watch. I have played some time travel games, and there are a ton of them on the market. Actually, there have been time travel games on the market for a number of years, since probably the early 80s at least. With, with Pacesetter's Time Master, and, and I doubt that was the first one. Um, but yeah, time travel's interesting. And as I mentioned, Safer from Safer Fantasy Crafting, Crafting and I have talked about doing a series on time travel in RPGs. It's just a matter of getting our schedules together and getting our notes together and, and doing the topic justice. But we are looking forward to, to recording on that subject. As far as the Doomsday Book, Carl... It's time to make you jealous. I have a copy of the Doomsday Book. It's a, a faux leather-bound, you know, I think it's two or three uh, volumes. And, and yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Um, of course, all it is lists what people... All the Doomsday Book is, of course, was an early audit in an early census. So it goes through, like, county by county. You, you know, it's where the Normans went through after the invasion and inventoried England. So it's got, you know, everybody and what they owned and... It, I mean, it's not something you sit down and read it. Well, you could read it at night because it's kind of dry, but it, it, it's an interesting historical artifact. So, yeah, the Doomsday Book is is pretty neat. I've not read the novel that you've, you've talked about. Speaking of time travel, though, in games, so I've got a series of books. Originally, Well, the first one was originally published in 1980. I think the others were published later because I didn't get the others till years later. But they're written by Kevin D. Randall. The first one is Remember the Alamo. The second is Remember Gettysburg. And the third is Remember the Little Bighorn. Well, Remember the Alamo is the one I know the best because I'd read it you know, over and over when I was a kid. 
But, and remember the Alamo, they find some super oil-rich land just south of the border in, you know, in Mexico, just south of the Texas border. So they have a time travel device and they send back this, like say it was 1980 book. They send back 33 combat-hardened Vietnam vets and they're now mercenaries. And they send them back to the Alamo with modern weapons to win the Alamo so Texas would have a, a bigger footprint down south to get these oil fields. And it's interesting because they're doing time travel, but they're using modern weapons to change history. And, you know, it, I, I won't spoil the book for you. I think you can, um, you can probably still get it, I'm sure. If nothing else, you can get used copies. They're probably cheap. It, it's, a, it's a fun read. It's, it's fine. Of course, in the end, well, I, again, I won't spoil the book for you. But so remember, the Alamo is a good example where modern equipment's taken back in time. To, you know, and they weren't worried about hiding it. So you have these interesting discussions where, you know, the Mercs show up at the Alamo and they have to explain their clothes and explain their weapons and, you know, wh how they work. Because that was before the time of cartridge firearms. Well, in the later ones, like remember Gettysburg, it gets more gimmicky and it gets closer to what you would have in a time travel RPG normally where you're part of an organization. So in the later ones, they have equipment. So in remember Gettysburg, it's been a while since I read it, but if I remember right, they effectively had, you know, they had muskets like, you know, like 1861 Springfields, but they had muskets that looked like, well, it looked like a musket, but it, I don't know, it could fire something else. It was like a, it, it was a modern weapon or a future kind of futuristic weapon disguised as a Civil War musket. And I think they did kind of the same thing in Remember the Little Bighorn. It's been a while since, like I said, I, I read both those maybe 20 years ago. I picked them up um, and I haven't read them since. So really remember the album is the one I remember the most. Um, they, they do a, a, well, again, I don't want to ruin the book, but they do a cool scene where they're choosing who's going to go back in time. This is really early in the book where they, they, you know, put an ad out and all these former vets and whoever show up and they're sitting in the bleachers waiting to find out what's going to happen. And a group of guys come up, you, you know, with guns and effectively threaten them. And the guys on the, you, you know, like it's a, I mean, it's like a bank robbery or something. And, and the, uh, some of the guys on bleachers were laughing and joking, thinking it's a show. And then some of the characters, of course, like slipped behind the bleachers and went and, and tried to take down the guys with the guns. And the ones that took proactive action, of course, were hired for the job. And the ones that sat in the bleachers laughing were not hired, which is kind of an interesting thing you could maybe spring in your players at some point. But, yeah, that's an interesting series of time travel novels. And, of course, even Michael... Crichton wrote a time travel novel, right? Which was made into a kind of lackluster movie. But yeah, time travel is interesting. It's tough. And like I say, Safer and I are going to discuss it at some point. But I do want to thank everybody for all those calls, as does Gadget. Alrighty, I want to thank all my callers. I want to thank Ray Otis for the art, TJ Drennan for the music, you the listener for taking time out of your busy day to tune in and listen to me. You all are very important to me. Thank you. If you want to leave a message and for me to play it on the air, you can leave a message using the Anchor app. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com and attach a sound file. You can attach a sound file, I guess, to a Discord message. Um, or if you just send me a text email or reach out to me on 
Discord, I can read your message out loud. But if you want something put out on the air, I'm happy to put it on the air and make you famous. So that said, I hope until I join you, until you join me next time, I hope that you take care of yourself, stay safe, and remember that every now and then you do have to take a couple minutes out for yourself. It's a busy world out there, a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes we can get overwhelmed. So you just have to take out a, you know, t- take a few minutes out for yourself. So I am going to do that right now and go play with my dogs. Take care. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I better shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman, and your moil is quite a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. And the world has gone to hell We're living for the dying And we're dying for the train wreck